Good morning, Church of Omaha. I am so glad that the weather is a little cooler out there. I feel like the past couple days have been miserable, and it is nice and cool in here. We don't have to have the fans on or anything. The air conditions are working. I tell you, first world problems, right? I think sometimes we forget how blessed we really are. Uh, if you've ever been to another country, uh, you know, you've heard me talk before. My wife and I have been to Afghanistan, been to Iraq, I've been to Kuwait. And you, you don't, I don't think you realize sometimes how, how lazy we get in our worship and that, and that we feel like if church is a little too hot, we can't really kind of give God a roll because it just feels miserable. But I, this morning, I kind of want to talk to you, I guess, out of a little bit of a troubled heart. Um, I don't come with a, with a really long message, but it's something that I've noticed going around lately within, and it's not really new, but I, I feel like it's just been more pronounced. And I want to just talk to you on this topic, something very simple, in Christ alone. In Christ alone. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 14, I'm going to read the first couple of verses. Now, as with any scripture, you always have to read in context. So you can't really understand fully what was being mentioned in John chapter 14 in the beginning without backing up a little bit to the end of John chapter 13. Right? In John chapter 13, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to leave them, that he's, he's going to die. And Peter, in all his zealousness and arrogance, says, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And it, in my mind, I'm just thinking, Jesus is thinking in the back, you're going to lay your life down for me. No, I think you've got it a little bit backwards. You just don't quite understand yet, right? And so Jesus tells Peter, he says, listen, before, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So now after telling them this, now we pick up in John chapter 14, and it makes much more sense why he starts with this verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would, not ha I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also, and whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Now Thomas is over in the corner scratching his head, and he says, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know thy way? That's King James speak for like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You, you said you're going to be betrayed, you said you're going to die, you're going to leave us, you're going somewhere to prepare a place for us, and you say we already know the way, but what are you talking about? And Jesus, I feel like, makes it very plain. Verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, you should know, have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Jesus in no unspecific words. He's very specific here. He says, I am the way. This phrase here, I am the way, is a singular way. He did not say, I am a way. He did not say, I am one of many ways to the Father. He said, I am the way. 
And I know that this should be elementary. I know that this should be so simple in our, our Christian understanding. But I feel like that we as, as a society, not necessarily this church, but as a society at large, have twisted this. And in an attempt to never hurt anyone's feelings, we, we can't say with a, a certain level of boldness that Jesus said that he is the only way. There is no other way. And I love this next phrase, the truth. The word truth there actually means reality. If you look up the original meaning of that word, when Jesus says that he is the truth, he means that he is the reality. As in, he is the only thing that is real and everything that you think outside of him is not the truth. It's not reality. Right? Now, like I said, I don't come with a super long sermon, but I come to you with a troubled heart because this world has become so progressive in its treatment of others. And I think the word that's getting thrown around a lot is the term woke. Right? That's, that's the word that's being used a lot today, the term woke. The problem is that like so many of Satan's tricks, this trend takes something of a noble idea like equality and uses it as a Trojan horse. You see, no true Christian would argue against equality. No one who understands the Bible, no one who has the love of Christ within them, would ever say or ever argue that we all are not equal and created in the image of God. No one who knows the heart of Christ would ever look at someone else and say, you are inferior to me. Right? In fact, if you really believe in Scripture, you would know that the only thing that separates us, the only differentiation, can be found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 through 29. It says this, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So here it is. The only two divisions that should exist in this world are those that are in Christ and those who are in need of Christ. The only two distinctions within mankind should be those who are already in Christ and those who are in need of Christ. Now I want you to notice it is not one versus the other. But it should be one reaching for the other. This is not an us versus them. This is not a we have Christ therefore we're better than you. This should be a we have Christ and therefore you need Christ also. It is not one versus the other but one reaching for the other. But you see sin has corrupted the hearts of mankind and false doctrines have consumed this world. And now, in the name of being inclusive, you can no longer say someone's thoughts or actions are wrong because it's all relative. It's all your truth, speaking power to your own individual truth and what you think to be right. In fact, in Europe, there are laws already on the books that make it a hate crime to speak out that homosexuality is a sin. There have been preachers arrested for preaching on the streets that God disapproves of homosexuality. Once upon a time, 
Christian preachers, even those who didn't have the fullness of truth, even those who didn't understand the oneness of God, even they would preach out or speak out against the immorality of this world. Not because they hated others, but on the contrary, because the love of Christ demands that we reach for the lost. They did this not to condemn others, but to call them to change. You see, God's love will always meet you where you are, but it will never leave you where you are. I think about it like this, and I'm a very visual type individual, so the simplest way I think of it is like this. If I looked over and I saw my wife in a house, and I saw that one of the rooms was on fire and the fire was beginning to spread in the house, what would I do? I would do everything within my power to get her out of that house. I would call to her. I would maybe, depending, I would go into the house. I would do whatever was within my power to remove her from the danger of the fire within that house. This is the love of God. The love of God says that I see you in danger of hellfire, and I don't want you to stay there. This is why the book of Jude says that we must earnestly contend for the faith that if it were possible, we could pull one from the fires of hell. Now, I'm paraphrasing here. but Jude, in just one chapter, one, his whole book consists of one chapter, but it was so important. The message that was spoken there was so important that it was, con, was included within God's word. Because the love of God is not to make you feel good, but to make you become righteous. Too often in our generation and in our age, we want more to feel like we are never convicted as opposed to feeling the call to change. But you see, love will always make you feel uncomfortable because love shows you the needs that you have in your life and love will pull you more toward Christ and away from this world. See, even during his early ministry, Billy Graham stated this. Listen to what he states, and I quote, Everyone thinks somehow, by hook or crook, you're going to go to heaven. Bless your heart, there is only one road to heaven, and that's through Christ Jesus. There is no other way, end quote. But unfortunately, many so-called Christian leaders today have become so desperate to show how inclusive they are, they have watered down the most fundamental truth, and that is that it is in Christ alone that we have salvation. Acts 4.12 tells us there's no other name. I don't know how much simpler, how much plainer you can get than Acts 4.12. No other name that's been given to us whereby we must be saved. No other name. Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 tells us that it's only in Him, in Christ, that we live, that we move, that we have our being. Not in anyone else, but only in Christ. But you see, in this age of social media influencers, many preachers have become so preoccupied with popularity, retweets, and likes, that they will even preach the devil back into heaven. That seems like a pretty bold statement, but it's pretty true. I have two quick videos I want to show you. Show us exactly where we are. Christianity and being a true believer 
You know, I think there's the, the, the body of Christ, which comes from all the Christian groups around the world, or outside the Christian groups. I think everybody that, that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're members of the body of Christ. And I don't think that we're going to see a great sweeping uh, revival that will turn the whole world to Christ at any time. I think James answered that, the Apostle James, in the first council in Jerusalem, when he said that God's purpose for this age is to call out a people for his name. Mm -hmm. And that's what God is doing today. He's calling people for, out of the, the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. Uh, they are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but uh, they know in their heart that they need something that they don't have, and they turn to the only light that they have, and I think that they are saved. I think is the future of Christian. No one, one way to heaven, no one way to paradise. It's like television. Now it's over 800 channels of cable, and they're all pretty entertaining. So I'm pretty sure, man, that to get to heaven, there's got to be more than one route. Because somebody watching another channel or taking another channel than you, they still getting entertained, and they probably still getting to heaven. There's no one. Isn't that crazy? If you, if you didn't know that first individual, that was Billy Graham. The same man who said in his early ministry that there was only one road to heaven. There was only one way that it was only through Christ is now that same man who had become so popular. And if you listen to what he said, it is so deceptive. Because what he does is he takes parts of truth, parts of scriptures. He talks about how James is, says that he's calling a people out for his name. That's true. But then he turns around and says that, well, as long as they're turning to whatever their true light is, as long as they're believing in whatever their help is, they're all going to be in heaven. He said whether, whether they're even conscious of their love for Christ. I mean, how non-scriptural can you get? And if you didn't know who the second individual was, that was Steve Harvey. Very, very famous TV personality who also has been professing to be a, a big Christian. Who's been on shows like Oprah and, and other popular shows talking about how he's a Christian and his faith. But did you hear what he said? He said that heaven's like TV. You watch one channel, you watch ESPN, you watch the Weather Channel. As long as you're all getting entertained, you're going to heaven. That's not what my Bible tells me. My Bible tells me that straight is the way, narrow is the path. Therefore, few that find it, few. And listen, this is not new, right? We see it so prevalent because of social media. But Scripture has warned us about this for a long time. Look what 2 John chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 tells us. Whoso transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. You want to know if you have God? Do you abide in the doctrine of Christ? Can't get any plainer. Verse 10, he says, it says, He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, 
and bring not this doctrine, what doctrine? The doctrine of Christ. Receive him not into your house. Neither bid him Godspeed. You better watch what you are looking at and who you're listening to, the voices that you're allowing to speak to you on YouTube, on TBN, on all these so-called Christian areas that you're listening to these preachers who seem to be so articulate and so smart and so wise but are not preaching the doctrine of Christ. Scripture tells us don't even let them into your home. For he that bideth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. We've got to be careful who we say, man, he's a good preacher. Doesn't matter that he's not preaching truth, he's a good preacher. Well, you're partaking in those evil deeds. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. Satan's greatest weapon against you is not the atheist. Satan's greatest weapon against us is not the Satanist. Satan's greatest weapon against us is false teachers who claim to wear the mantle of Christ, but do not preach the truth. Those who make us feel good Those who tell us how rich we can be. Those who tell us how we can get any blessing we want from God and it's not going to cost us anything but, you know, $99.99 that we got to send them. Right? That's not the doctrine of Christ. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And finally, Matthew 7 13 through 15 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. You want to know those many TV channels? That's where that leads you. And many there be which go in thereat, at the wide gate. Right? Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You see, Muslims believe in Jesus as a prophet, but not as God. Buddhists think highly of Jesus as a wise philosopher, but they don't recognize him as God. Hindus see Jesus as a God, little g, among thousands of gods, but they fail to recognize him as the only true God. And even many secularists keep Jesus in remembrance for his teachings on love. But here's the thing. Jesus is not worthy just of our remembrance. He is worthy of our worship. Because he's not a God amongst gods. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a philosopher. But he is God. He is God. He is the only wise king who is able to save. He is perfection. He is the source of love. He is the only just one. He is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the ending, 
the first and the last, the one who is and was and is to come. He is God. And we are not. I think that is a very hard pill for some people to swallow. He is God and we are not. Therefore, we cannot change what God has said is the way to salvation. Woe be unto the man that changes the plan of salvation to make others feel good. Woe be to the man that changes holiness to not offend others. Woe be to the man who calls sin good for the sake of popularity. Woe be to us if we ever stand in silence while that man says such a thing. Woe be to the church when we sit in silence for fear of being called names, being called uh, uh, phobic of this and phobic of that because we speak truth. Now listen, you know, many of you have heard me preach many times. You know my heart. We do all things in love. Right? As I said in the very beginning of this message, that it's not one versus the other, but it is one reaching for the other. But church, do not be so afraid of hurting others' feelings that you sit quietly. Because you are damning the people to hell by refusing to share the truth. And that's not love. That's not love. Watching someone in a burning house and saying nothing about it, that's not love. But love reaches for the lost. Love cares for those who are in sin. It does not condemn them, but it reaches for them. Love looks at those who've been bewitched by the false doctrines of man and doesn't call them wrong. It says, your teaching is wrong and you need salvation. Let me help you. Let me show you the truth. Let me show you the way more excellent. I love the story in Acts of Asilla and Proquilla. They listened to the man of God preach. And they said, let us show you the way more excellent. They didn't come at the preacher and say, you dirty, rotten sinner, you're going to hell. They said, listen, you're, you're good. You've got a good starting point. But let us show you the way more excellent. You want to turn somebody off to Christ? Attack everything they've known and believed immediately. They will put up walls, and nothing you say beyond that will ever be heard. But if you tell them, listen, I am so glad that God has, has worked you and brought you to this point, but God loves you so much that he has something even greater for you. He has something a way more excellent. You see, the problem in this world, and dare I say even in some churches, is that we often approach the issue of sin and salvation from emotions and feelings. They, hopefully none of us, but they say things like, well, I just feel, or I just believe, or I can't imagine that God would punish so-and-so. But God's word is not dictated by our feelings or even our beliefs. God's word is the final authority. His word is everlasting now, the most obvious example of this that I can think of is whenever we start talking about heaven and hell. I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard, been a part of personally, a conversation that goes a little bit like this. Now, let me preface it by saying, it's not my job to preach someone into heaven or to preach them into hell. 
But it is the word of God's job to do that. Right? So here's, here's the conversation I've heard so many times. Brother Bob says something to the effect of, my great-grandmother, brother, cousin, mother, fill in the person, was such a good person, there's no way they could ever be sent to hell. God would never do that. They were such a good person. So then I asked them some variation of this question. Oh, well, did they, did they go to church? No, they never went to church, but, but they were nice. They were a nice person. Okay, all right. Were they ever baptized in the name of Jesus? No, but they did give money to a televangelist on occasion. Okay. Did they ever receive the Holy Ghost? No, they didn't really believe in the Holy Ghost. You see, what Brother Bob just described is transactional salvation. Transactional salvation is like this. They did X, Y, and Z, right? Therefore, they deserve salvation. They were a kind to other people, and therefore that deserves them. They, they bought their salvation. But God does not participate in transactional salvation. And we better be very, very glad that he doesn't. Here's why. Romans 5, 7 through 9 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If Christ had waited to pay the price of salvation when we got it all together, we would still be lost in our sins. But Christ doesn't play transactional salvation. While we were yet sinners, he loved us. Now, of course, we know there is obedience to God's word. And because of the price that he paid, there are things that he expects from us. But we do not earn that salvation because we are good. We do not earn that salvation because we gave money to someone or we said nice things. We earn that through obedience to what God has said. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Not of ourselves. Not of our righteousness. But through him. We didn't earn salvation by being good. We were all born in sin and shapen in iniquity. But in God's infinite love and mercy, he looked down on us and said, that's my people. He sacrificed for us, not because we deserved it, but because he loved us. God is telling the church that we're not justified by our actions, but by the goodness of and the mercy of Christ. And the only way to be saved from wrath is through Him. I know it's tempting to nod politely when we don't want to hurt people's feelings. But we can never give the impression that we agree with false teachings and that this false teaching that God won't send people to hell. I think sometimes what happens is we, we don't want, a lot of us, we don't like conflict. We don't want to be in conflict with other people. We don't want to necessarily hurt other people's feelings. So when they say things that are false, when they say things that are not true to Scripture, it's easier for us to just say, mm-hmm, yep, okay, and nod our head quietly and walk off. But that's not what the Bible tells us to do. Let me simply illustrate this with a story. And I'm going to close. I'm going to tell the story and we'll wrap this up. There was a preacher and a woman sitting on a plane next to one another. 
the preacher had just finished preaching a conference. He was tired. He looks over and he noticed that the woman was reading a book. And on the front of the book it said, A New Age Look at Jesus. Now the preacher was really tired, but his interest became piqued. So he struck up a conversation with the woman. And he, as they began to talk, he finally found the opening to say, Okay, well, what is this book that you're reading about? Can you tell me a little bit, what does this mean, A New Age Look at Jesus? Now, I'd like to say that the woman's response was completely outlandish and unheard of. But as she began to speak, the preacher began to hear very familiar words. She says, oh, Jesus was a good man and a good teacher. She even gave him the credit of saying he was a good prophet. The preacher began to press the issue a little bit and began to ask her if she believed that Jesus was God, robed in the flesh. To which the woman quickly responded, no, 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 I don't believe that. Preacher pressed the issue a little further by saying, Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven? The woman answered again very quickly and said, No, God is love. And he wouldn't leave out people just because they didn't believe in Jesus. Finally, the preacher pressed the woman one final time and he asked the woman and she said, He said, Do you believe that Jesus died for the sins of this world, rose on the third day and ascended into heaven and is going to return once more? The woman says, no, I don't think I believe that that's literal. The preacher looks at her and says, well, ma'am, we have a problem. The woman looks slightly confused and says, what problem do we have? The preacher says, ma'am, you've just contradicted yourself three times. The woman now looks a little irritated and says, Explain to me, what do you mean I've contradicted myself three times? Well, the preacher says, you see, you said that Jesus was a good man, but don't believe that he is God. The woman nodded in agreement. Jesus said, and the preacher tells her, Jesus said, I and my father are one. He also said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus also said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. Jesus unequivocally claimed to be God, but If this isn't true, that would make Jesus a liar and a blasphemer. Last time I checked, liars and blasphemers aren't good people. The preacher then said, You also said that you believe Jesus is a good teacher, but you don't believe that he's the only way to salvation. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus also said, I am the door, I am the shepherd. Jesus, in no uncertain terms, taught that he was the only way to salvation. If this isn't true, that would make him a false teacher. Last time I checked, false teachers are not good teachers. Finally, the preacher said, you said Jesus was a good prophet, but he prophesied that he would die, that he would raise again on the third day, and that he would ascend into heaven, and that he would return again to judge the living and the dead. If this did not happen as you believe, That would make him a false prophet. And last time I checked, false prophets are not good prophets. So ma'am, you have a problem because you cannot on one hand call him good man, good teacher, good prophet. And on the other hand deny everything that he is, that he taught, and that he prophesied. It is not possible to have it both ways. Church, as we stand... We live in a world that's consumed with political unrest. We live in a world that's overtaken with fear and anxiety about the future of our economy. 
about the state of the pandemic, about possible conflicts in other countries. But I'm here to tell you that it is in Christ alone that we will find the peace and the answers and the safety that we are looking for. This world will continue to offer new programs. This world will continue to offer new truths. Big parentheses there. This, this world will continue to offer new solutions until one day a man steps on the scene and says, don't worry, I have peace and safety for you. But church, I am here to reinforce in you, to encourage you, to re-embolden you that it is in Christ alone that we have salvation. It is in Christ alone that we will see heaven. And it is in Christ alone that you will find the answers that you are looking for. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your truth is everlasting, O oh God, that it is from generation to generation, that heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word shall not pass away, Lord. I pray that we would take this word, that we would hide it in our hearts, that we would live the word, O oh God. Let us be the word to a lost and dying world. I speak against racism. I speak against hatred. Lord, but I also speak against apathy. I speak against this the spirit that wants us to not offend others at the sake of denying truth. Lord, I pray for boldness for this church, for your body, for your people. Lord, that we must be willing and able to speak truth even when it makes us uncomfortable, even when it steps on the toes of others. Help us to be courageous. Help us to put on the armor that we may do war in the spirit, O oh God. Now I pray that as we begin to enter into the second half, let us worship you, O oh God. You're not worthy just of our remembrance, but you're worthy of our worship, O oh God. And the only way we can live the truth that is you is to first have a right perspective of who you are. Let us worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. As Brother Jeremy was talking this morning, and we have just a couple minutes here, um, Paul, when he was talking to the Galatians, he was talking to them about having, uh, saying they need to go back to works and the works of the Old Testament. Um, but Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 really strikes home. And Brother Jeremy, this was a great word from God. It rings what I've been feeling for the last several weeks in my spirit and echoes what you'll hear when Bishop preaches this second half. Paul's admonishing them about their condition. And he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Jesus was beaten and he was bloodied and he was bruised for your sins. He, he suffered and he made these bold statements about his identity for my sins and your sins. And today when I look across Pentecost, maybe you don't notice it as strongly in Nebraska because we have, what, 18 churches and, and we're, you don't see as much Pentecost. So you look over and you see, well, what about this type of Christianity or that type of Christianity? 
But when you go a little further south where you have a little heavier concentration, and even when you look across this state, you will see people who have begun to cast aside and, and take off. And they'll say, well, I don't think that Christianity deserves me to live outward holiness. And it's only an inward thing. But the inward has got to come out. Others will say, well, I look really great and I have it together. My attitude doesn't matter. How you speak to people matters. Oh, what Jesus bled and died for matters. And not for you only, but for Christianity. So I really feel in my spirit, oh, foolish Pentecostals, who hath beguiled you? Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey Jesus Christ? I want to reach into our spirits just for a little bit more and say, God, reach into my people. Reach into the people of the church. Oh, let's go ahead and raise our voices, church. Reach into the church, oh God. Reach into my spirit. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to walk out on prayer. I don't want to walk out on the truth of the gospel. Oh God, I don't want to cast your holiness aside. I don't want to cast aside the love for truth, a caring for people. Oh God, move in this church. Move in Pentecost today. Move amongst the people who have declared holiness for your name. Oh, God, let us fall in love again. Oh, God, with our first love that we had for you. Oh, God, let us fall in love again, Lord, with a passion and a desire for you. You are the only way. It is in Christ alone that we are saved. Oh, give him some love right now. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I feel your conviction. Jesus, I feel your burden for the church. And I'm willing to go where you want me to go. I love you, Jesus. That's it. Give him a hand clap. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, church, hear the word of the Lord that's been brought today. And let's let it drive home in us the rest of this service. God bless you. We'll see you in here at 1120. We have a lot going on, so we urge you to be back in here promptly. God bless you, and let's have great church.